Okay, today is May the 26th, 2011. I'll remind you that tomorrow night is Friday night at the movies. I think we're going to see the King's message, but we'll see. We'll have some kind of movie. <laughs> It'll be interesting. It'll be good. So, and we'll have all the trimmings with it. Uh, I have so much to go over with y'all tonight, so let's just get right into our silent prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in control of all things, that you are utterly faithful in everything towards us, and our contact with you is grace and your mighty word. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate this evening, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. I heard on the news tonight something that was somewhat distressing. Uh, it was just one little blurb. It said that um, less than half of the families today consist of married couples. In fact, it said it was 48%. That is horrendous. It said in 19... In the mid-1950s, it was right at 80%. And I started thinking about something, and I've been doing some research lately. And it was in 1929 that they, par uh, that they passed the Marriage Licensing Act. And by that time, all the states had signed on to it. Now, prior to that time, when people were married, uh, there was no uh, license to get married. Uh, they would usually go before a minister and uh, they would be married and they would record it in the Bible or maybe they may be given a certificate or something like that from the church. And it was legally binding. It was called common law marriages. Now, I know today that term means something else, like people cohabit together when, they're <coughs> excuse me, when they haven't been uh, formally married. But that was the, the term was a common law marriage. Now, it was in the mid-1960s when California, under Governor Ronald Reagan, had the first uh, time that they had a no-fault divorce. Because under common law marriage, uh, if you were going to seek a divorce, it had to go before a jury. And they would decide if there was uh, physical abuse or if there was adultery or if there was desertion. You had to have grounds for divorce. And so when I was a, a boy, I can still remember, divorce was pretty rare. I mean, it, we, you certainly heard of it, but nothing like it is now. And so you had to have legal grounds. Now, there are still people today who uh, get married in that fashion without getting a marriage license. One of the things that happens with a marriage license is that you can get a divorce simply because uh, you are incompatible. They, you can get a divorce with, with essentially no grounds. They're, they call it irreconcilable differences. Or you can just tell a judge, I don't love her or I don't love him anymore. Okay, well, you get a divorce. And that's what we wind up with today is that uh, the conditions of things have digressed so much that people aren't even getting uh, married uh, in any sense for to a large degree, whenever you have people trying to decide whether 
uh, two people of the same sex can get married, you can pretty well decide or, or realize that things have really gone uh, awry. And a lot of people think, well, so many marriages, over half of the marriages end in divorce anyway. And what's distressing is that it's no better in the Christian community. Christians have about the same divorce rate. All these things, I think, go together. But that's not really, uh, that wasn't what I was going to cover with you tonight. There is something that I'm going to cover. I'm going to do my best to be fair and objective because this issue got my blood up a bit. I don't know if you've heard about it. I didn't hear about this in the news. Uh, Dr. Robbie Dean from West Houston Bible Church sent me an email and was telling me about what has happened in the last few days in our own uh, Congress, that is our Texas Congress, that there was a bill that was put forth. It's called uh, HB uh, 1937, and it was a bill that would have uh, uh, made it a, and I'm quoting here, a criminal act for uh, security personnel, specifically the TSA, to touch a person's private areas without probable cause as a condition of travel or as a condition of entry into a public place. It was headed for uh, an imminent Senate vote in Texas, having already passed the House by a vote of 138 to 0. It was unanimous, unanimously passed by the House for uh, both sides of the aisle. Uh, before the federal government stepped in to nix the legislation. Now, uh, the Department of Justice threatened to cancel airline flights into, uh, uh, into and out of uh, Texas. In, in addition to the underhanded lobbying by the TSA representatives, it has uh, killed efforts in the state to pass HB 137, a bill that would have made invasive pat-downs by the TSA agents, a felony. Now, this is, I, has any, have any of you heard this on the TV? Okay, I haven't seen it on the TV, but um, I'm very uh, proud of the Texas congressman that voted to put this bill through. But I am utterly ashamed of those who acquiesced and caved in to the uh, pressure that they received um, it was uh, Congressman Simpson was the author of the bill, and he was quoted in the press release saying, HB 1937 is a significant step forward in the protection of our constitutional and civil liberties. Groping innocent citizens does little to enhance security, but does much to reduce our freedom and dignity. I am very thankful that members of both parties have joined together to defend our citizens' dignity against the TSA's egregious screening methods. In a, in a letter sent to the Texas lawmakers, including uh, Lieutenant Governor David Dewhurst, uh, Speaker Joe Strauss, and House Clerk, and the Senate Secretary, U.S. Attorney John E. Murphy threatened to cripple the airline industry in the state if the legislature did not back down. This is a quote. If H.R. 1937 were enacted, the federal government would likely seek an emergency stay of the statute, Murphy wrote, this is this federal attorney, unless or until such a stay were granted, TSA would likely be required to cancel any flight or series of flights 
for which it could not ensure safety of passengers and crew. We urge that you consider the ramifications of this bill before casting as disconcerting as the rampant manifestation-like, um, excuse me, ma mafia-like attitude of the DOG, that would be the Department of Justice, is using de facto economic terrorism to shoot down this legislation. Following a fiery debate in the Texas House last night, Senate sponsor Dan Patrick, Republican or, uh, from Houston, pulled the bill. Remarkably, TSA representatives had been lobbying the Texas Senate in an effort to mothball the legislation. I don't know what this, uh, what this lobbying of the Texas Senate was, but I, I have no doubt it was untoward. This is a quote by Patrick. He says, quote, I will pull HB 1937 down, but I will stand for liberty in the state of Texas, unquote. And I'm here to tell you that is a typical political double talk. For if he was going to stand for liberty, he would not have pulled the bill. And I would love to have seen our congressman say, stand for principle instead of political expediency. And I'm ashamed of him. And the whole world was watching this. The whole nation was looking at what could be done. And this is, this is a... a this is typical, though. Patrick stated that the TSA officials have warned him uh, passing the bill could close down all airports in Texas, which he regarded as a heavy-handed threat by the federal government. Um, the staff of Republican Re uh, Representative David Simpson, the one that was the author of the bill, said the Department of Justice has thrown down the gauntlet in using such stark language to oppose the bill. Well, I don't know what's going to happen from here on out. At least there was a shining moment of men representing us in Congress that was doing the right thing unanimously. And I don't know what will happen in the future, but it, this is like a green light now to the TSA. There was, I don't know if you knew, but they have already moved into certain areas I saw where there were uh, a couple of proms where the TSA moved down and was uh, patting down uh, girls in their prom dresses, um, pulling their bras out and raising their dresses and all this type of thing. And Americans are going to stand by with, for that? They're going to stand by and let this go? Well, they were looking for, you know, I guess they think they're terrorists there. I don't know. They... they it's not, a, it's not about terrorism. It's about having the right to do it. And they are pushing it, and, and the people are acquiescing. So I don't know what's going to happen, but you can see why my blood got up. When I go to the airport, I don't like people following me. And if I was a woman, I <laughs> well, I don't know how women think, but I certainly would not uh, appreciate it. So, um, and there's several other things that I could tell you about along those lines, but uh, that's enough for... The, the time that we had to spend on that this evening. But uh, was there anything, what I presented to you from these quotes that I got, is that what they were presenting on the TV that y'all saw? The article on the internet? Did anybody see it on the TV? But nobody saw it on the TV. Can you believe? 
You know, if, if, they had, if they had stood their ground and they shut down all the airports in Texas, there should have been an outcry, not at our legislature that was doing the right thing and standing up to defend us. It should have been at those who perpetrated this atrocious act. Well, I, I, I want to just move on. I said I was going to do my best to keep a lid on it. I, I'm, just, I'm just, see, I have a bully pulpit. And I'm not afraid to speak out on things that I think not only uh, are, uh, infringes upon our God-given rights, but I have the right to do so. And this isn't a political, Republican, Democratic. It has nothing to do with that. That's demonstrated by our Congress, everyone unanimously, and then they back down? It's the lobbying. It's going in and greasing the palms and making promises and the political expediency. And we as a people in this state get what we deserve. And if this passes and there is not a huge outcry from the people, then when we go to airports and they strip us and they take our wives and our daughters and they physically uh, abuse them in that fashion, then we deserve it because we'll sit by and let anything happen. Yes? No, it's, it's the um, Transparency Security Administration. Isn't that it? The uh, Transporta Transportation Security Administration. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a ad, it's part of the Homeland Security, but this was the Department of Justice that was pushing this. Well, uh, it, well that's the thing. Well, Right, right. Um, I'm going to shut this conversation down now because I'm going to go on with the work. I've said what needs to be said. You have the facts as well as I can ascertain them. And uh, I just didn't know if you had heard it. The, f the fact that it has not made TV is enough for us to be outraged that these things are happening and the news is so filtered that they don't even let the masses know it. You have to go to the Internet or you have to go to some other uh, place to get the news like this. This is typical and I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm just outraged at this. I'm outraged that last time I went to the airport, um, which was quite a while back, uh, everybody was taking their shoes off in front of me. And I looked around. I didn't see any sign that said, take your shoes off. So I didn't take my shoes off. And because I didn't take my shoes off, finally someone says, sir, you have to take your shoes off. Well, I, I guess I had a... I don't know how you have a bomb in your shoe. But anyway, I took my shoes off. But I think because I didn't take my shoes off, I had to go over in this other section put your feet on this thing and stand Fred Eagle like I was a criminal and was patted down all over. And where is the dignity and the God-given rights of, of people these days? I, I, I'm moving on. Okay? Turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians. I'm just giving you... I have four other things that I was going to go over, but I don't know whether I will or not. I mean, I won't do it tonight. 
I don't might not do it at all. We are in Hebrews chapter 3. Oh, it's Hebrews. I'm looking at a Hebrews verse here that we are going to go over first. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, but we're going to start with Hebrews chapter 10. I'll put it on the board for you. Here it is. We went over this briefly last time, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34 through 36. You may want to turn to that. I told you what a great chapter Hebrews chapter 10 is. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Does that just grab you to... Accept joyfully the seizure of your property. Now, you know joyfully. They weren't saying, goody, goody, they're coming and get, getting my property. That's not what it means. It means that they knew that their life consisted of more than what they, the property that they owned. And they knew that they were standing for what was right and what was uh, the biblical stand. They were standing for the faith. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a possession and an abiding one where would you go in the bible to find out what he's talking about how about john chapter 14 when christ said that when he leaves he's going to prepare a place for us that where he is we may be also and then you can go to revelation chapter 21 and look at the new jerusalem that is going to descend out of heaven uh, you, you reckon you might have a little cubby hole there i would say a, a a cubby hole in the New Jerusalem would be make the White House look like a, a little dollhouse. You know what I'm talking about. They were looking forward to a better position. They had a personal sense of eternal destiny. It was real for them. How could that be applied today in the scenes that we are seeing on the news of Joplin, Missouri and these other places where the devastation is unbelievable. As far as the eye can see, there's nothing but devastation. Look how many people that have lost everything that they have. Some of them have, there was, uh, what was it, 200? There was over 200 people still missing in just one area. And these people are dealing with this, but the, the physical things that they have, some of them don't even have anything. I mean, they go back. They can't even find their house. They can't find their neighborhood. Now, this, this could apply that they are looking for a better possession and an abiding one. Wouldn't that be great to go into these areas and tell these people, look, I've got good news for you. You can have a better possession, possession a better home, and an abiding one that no one can take away. And it's free. Do you think you would gain the ear of some people there? I think that would be a great way to approach this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. How much confidence do you have in God's Word? Depending upon the amount of confidence you have, the amount that you have is going to determine how you live, what you think, what you say, what your hopes and aspirations and desires are. And so your confidence 
has great value. And I'm talking about your confidence in God's Word, in the doctrines that we have. Now, we don't just come here and learn a lot of academic stuff so that we can lord it over other people. We're here to keep our spiritual momentum moving forward. You quit taking in the Word and it grinds to a halt. And what's so dangerous about that is when you grind to a halt, you're no longer a moving target and a static, stationary target is an easy target, isn't it? We don't want to throw away your confidence, which has great reward. The way that most people throw away their confidence, they don't purposely do it, but they get distracted. I think being distracted is one of the biggest things that will cause believers to throw away their confidence because when you're distracted, you're no longer thinking divine viewpoint. You're no longer getting a steady intake of that spiritual energy from the Word of God. And before you know it, that confidence is gone and it has sucked in something else. The pseudo. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Can you do the will of God and expect to receive what was promised in a, a day, a week, or a month? What word do you see in this verse that gives you the key that it's the long haul? It's the rest of your life. It's the endure, the enduring ones. I can't tell you how many people have come and gone from this church that were on fire for Jesus for a short while, and they burnt out. And this, is, this isn't unique to this church. It's any church. You have those people. It's an emotional thing. I had a person one time that didn't come to church until he had a motorcycle accident. He had a motorcycle accident, and it scared him because he saw that he was mortal. He could have been killed very easily. So he started coming to church. I think in total he came four times. That's how far that fear carried him. And after four times, because he didn't have a genuine hunger, he was just scared and thought, I better go to church for a while. And then he disappeared. But he was very zealous for four trips. Four trips to church and he was very zealous. It is the enduring ones. It's the ones that come over and over and over again. Those are the ones that are engaged in spiritual combat. That's what it says in Ephesians. It says, that my job as a pastor is to prepare the church, the body of Christ, for spiritual combat. People don't think in terms of combat, but that's what we're in every single day, spiritual combat. And if we're not prepared, if we don't put on the full armor of God, you can forget about having a personal sense of eternal destiny. You won't be thinking about the great promises that God have that reach even beyond this life. You're going to be gobbled out by the details of life. Those who do not develop confidence in the Lord will be ashamed at the judgment seat of Christ. Ashamed. Do you like being ashamed? I don't know what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like. What I'm saying is I don't know how many people are going to be there, how many people are going to be viewing. I don't know whether the Lord is going to take you into a private room and say, okay, let's talk. That in itself, uh, I'm not going to be doing any talking. I just want to be doing a lot of listening. If I do talk, it's going to be, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. That's, the, that's what the, the smart person would do, the smart believer. Or it could be that there's 10 billion angels and 500 million people standing by, and they all have, you know, great uh, audio. You probably wouldn't have to have microphones. I don't know what the setup is there. How would you like to be ashamed in front of 500 million people? Huh? I don't. Not many point this part out, but the Bible says that there are those who are going to be ashamed. God has given all this time, all this grace, all these blessings, and what have they done with it? Ignored Him and His Word. Philippians 1.20 According to my earnest expectation and hope, hope there is confidence, that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but I will, be, I will with all boldness, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. Does that give you a shot in the arm? It can be done. Paul is saying it right here. He has an earnest expectation and hope. What is hope? It's an earnest expectation. So it's like saying, according to my earnest confidence and confidence. I have confidence. I have an earnest expectation that I shall not be put to shame in anything. I don't like to be ashamed here on earth. I don't like to be put to shame. But in context, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. I don't want to be ashamed there. I want to be looking forward to that, don't you? We don't have to be afraid, fear cast out. I mean, excuse me, love, perfect love casts out fear. And if we love the Lord and we are doing good deeds, good works, divine good, because of our love motivated for Him, motivated by Him, we don't have anything to fear. We have everything to look forward to. It's not a boastful, strident type of pride. It's just waiting and anticipating what God has promised. Let's back up here. Get up here. We are at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. And all I've covered in all this so far is we have confidence in the Lord. I said you, it is very difficult to overemphasize your confidence in the Lord. It means everything. And I'm here to tell you, you stop taking in doctrine consistency and your confidence is going to take a nosedive. And you're going to start going to people and asking their opinions. You're going to go to so-called professionals and you're going to pay them in order to try to take care of your troubles and woes because you're going to forget that the Bible says that it, His Word, the Bible, is sufficient for all things in life and godliness. <laughs> I got a double. You got it here, but you don't see it. Did y'all see that? Okay. That was by accident. Okay. Uh, that you are doing. The word doing here is poeo, P-O-I-E-O. It's a verb, present, active, indicative. It means to make, form, produce, bring about, cause, or do, or to do. Expressing an action as construed, excuse me, as continued or not, yet completed. What one does repeatedly or habitually, like proso, and then you have the Strong's number there, it means to practice. You are doing this. The Thessalonian believers were doing this. 
Notice how confidence is associated with doing. You see that in this verse? Expect, uh, expectation, earnest expectation and confidence. And then what do you have the next thing? That they were doing. Confidence and doing go together. Confidence in the Lord and His return is a motivating force for action. Or at least it should be. It should be in your, in your life. A believer must be either ignorant and are unbelieving or, or perhaps apathetic and are disobedient to ignore the warnings and blessings associated with being ready for Christ when He returns. Now, I said that too fast. I want to do it again. Do you know how long it took me to put together that sentence? How many times I erased it to get it just right? And I read it, and now we'll just move on. No, that's not going to happen. Look, a believer must be either ignorant and are unbelieving because a, 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 a believer can be ignorant of Christ's return and what all that means. He may be ignorant of what it means to execute the Christian way of life. And that's certainly true to a large degree. But it's also true that there are many unbelieving believers. You know what I'm talking about? They go to church, they hear the Word, but it makes no difference in their life because when it really gets down to it, they don't believe it. How many people really, believers, really believe that Jesus Christ could return at any time? And when He does, everything is going to change. We'll have a resurrection body. We'll go to the judgment seat of Christ. Everything will complete. How many believers really believe that and it's a driving force in their life? I don't know what the answer is, but I know there's a lot of them that are ignorant of that. It's true, a lot of believers don't even know about the rapture. And a lot of them don't believe it. Oh, they'll give lip service to it. Do you believe in the rapture? Oh, yeah. What's that? Or perhaps that believer may be apathetic and are disobedient to ignore the warnings and blessings associated with being ready for Christ. That's what the New Testament is full of. It's warnings. Stand firm. Be ready. Be on your guard. Be alert. And a lot of believers are just apathetic. Well, you know, I've got the problem. Kids are graduating, and I have a full agenda. I don't have a day planner. You know, these little things, these little books that you carry with you, there's a dates, calendars, and what are you keep track of all that. I'm not a list maker. You've heard me say that. I don't have time for lists. <laughs> well, I save time by making the list, but I wish I was more of a list maker. But what we need to put number one on our list are things that are unseen because the unseen things are eternal and the visible things are temporal. So a believer can disobey the warnings and just do what they please. And the blessings, they ignore the blessings. What do we just see? Keep on course. Endure to the end. It's worth it. Paul said, the sufferings that we undergo now cannot be compared to the wonders and glories that God has prepared for those who love Him. He's saying that when you get to heaven and you see what God has rewarded you with, 
and you look back at this life and you say, that's all I had to do to get this? What a deal. The order is this. Knowing, nothing happens until you know it. Believing, you've got to believe it or else nothing happens. Hoping here is the confidence, the confidence factor, and then it should result in doing. You've got knowing, believing, hoping, and doing. That's the order. Where are you? <laughs> um, of course, that's a rhetorical question. We all have to look at ourselves. I think this group has the knowing pretty well sewed up. I think you know. And I think most of you, maybe all of us, I don't know, believe it. When we get to the hoping or the confidence factor, I don't know what that may be. But have you ever heard the proof is in the, the proof is in the doing? And we have some great doers here. But there are a lot of doers out there. They're professional do-gooders. But they have the wrong motivation. They don't know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all nothing but human good. Many, if not most, believers are not looking forward to the Lord's return because they know that they have not been good and faithful servants. They know it. They have lived for themselves and, and not committed themselves to the Lord. They have not grown in grace but settled for a mess of pottage offered by the world rather than the eternal glories and rewards that could have been theirs. I don't want to settle for a mess of pottage. You know who that's talking about. Esau sold his birthright. Something so valuable just for a meal. And do you see that word in that sentence there? Committed themselves to the Lord. That's hard for me to write. I used to belong to a denomination that they would walk the aisle. Every time you didn't feel saved or every time you felt like, well, I'm not really a good servant to the Lord, they would come down and rededicate their lives. And I'm, I'm not really committed like I should be, so I'm going to come back by publicly in front of everybody and recommit myself as a commitment to the Lord. That's why it's got somewhat of a, a bad taste to me. But that's not to, to erase the fact that we should be committed to the Lord. How can we be good and faithful service, servants if we're not committed to our Master? The idea that we can just come to Bible class, focus our attention here on Bi when we're studying the Word and go home, put our notebooks away, put our Bibles away, put our theology away, put anything spiritual away until next time that we meet is not being committed to the Lord, is it? It takes the doing, and the doing by the right motivation, the right motivation is for our love and belief in the promises of God. That's what should be motivating us. But most believers have settled for a mess of pottage. When I say mess of pottage, what the world has to offer, what the world has to offer is unlimited as far as most people are concerned. You, you're here and you're concentrating. You had to get here. It's not easy to sit here. Sometimes. Concentrate. Sometimes it's a struggle to get these spiritual concepts into your brain. So, okay, I got it. 
It's much easier to sit in front of the boob tube at home and you're going through this stuff. Well, this one looks pretty good. Just kind of zonk. You might not be physically asleep, but mentally you are. That's easy to do. Hopefully you're here because you're committed to the Lord because you understand the importance of hanging on to your confidence, looking for the goal and the prize, to be a good and faithful servant. But many have settled for what the world has to offer. And the next phrase, and will continue to do. Guess what that word is again. Are y'all looking at your Bibles? Look at that. We have that you are doing. That Greek word there I'm showing you is poeo. It's a verb, present active indicative. The next word, separated by chi, which is and, is will continue to do, and look what you have, the word poeo. Poeo and poeo. That you are doing and will continue to do. Only this time poeo is a verb. It's a future active indicative. This is the same word as given above, only this time it is a future tense. One of the reasons Paul had confidence in the Lord concerning the Thessalonian believers was because they were already demonstrating their obedience and never ceased growing and producing divine good. That's why he says, you are doing it, and I have faith in the Lord that he's going to continue to bring them through their entire life, that endurance, so that in the future they're going to continue to do these things because they have the right motivation. We don't do these things to secure blessings from God. We do these things because of the blessings of God. We already have them. Not everyone is going to be rewarded. And I don't, I don't want to be ashamed. So he says, for the future sense, and will continue to do what we command. Now, the Greek word for uh, we command is paraangelo, P-A-R-A-G-G-E-L-L-O. It's a verb, present active, indicative. It means to give an order, charge, or command to instruct or give directions. So they continue to, to do or accomplish what was commanded by Paul the Apostle. Humility and a willingness to obey is always necessary to carry out commands, but it also takes the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. Christians do not endure by their own nature or abilities, but need help from God. I don't know about you, but I need a lot of help from God. I can, I can make commitments. I can say, okay... Uh, from now on, it's going to be one plate when I go to all you can eat. You laugh. You know me. You've been to all you can eat places with me. <laughs> you know what I need is a supernatural supreme help. And I'm, I'm saying somewhat in jest about a plate, but I'm talking about for us to accomplish God's mission, we cannot do it on our own. But we cannot, we cannot fulfill His mission if we are arrogant and are not humble to obey commands. And even when we're willing to obey the commands, 
We can't do it without his help. We need his help in everything. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. I want you to go to this verse. It's a controversial verse because I want you to mark something there in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Now, this is Paul writing to the Philippians, and it appears, start of this verse sounds like he could just as easily have been writing to the Thessalonians because the Philippian believers were also on track. That's why it starts in Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved... Remember how he called the Thessalonians beloved so many times? Here's another group that he is uh, very passionate about. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, they, have, they, they had a track record just as the Thessalonians did, not as, much, uh, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now before we go to that other part, I want to say something about this. Have you ever worked for a company that when the boss was there, everybody was doing their job, and as soon as the, the boss left, everybody just sat down? I was at, on a job site. Sometime I'll tell you more about this job site. I learned so many things here, so many great examples. It was at the uh, Cameron Ball Valve Plant in Sealy, Texas. And there was a superintendent there, and his name was George Marty. And I was a superintendent also. And there's a story in that. But anyway, uh, what I noticed was that when he left, and he left a lot, the job site, they would, when, the, when the guys out on the, uh, the construction job, and the, th this ball valve plant was massive. It was over many acres. And when they saw his truck leave, they would all lay down their tools, literally, sit down. And that, until, that wasn't until I came around. And I would not have it. And I would explain to them. Not only would I say, look, you're a day's work. That knew your job. Not just because of him. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're employed, as it were, and you are sitters for him, and you are to work unto the Lord, and I don't care if it's digging a ditch, putting so whatever it is. He has nothing to do with it. He was a horrible excuse for us because he didn't any for anything. If he tried, I'll do it to remarks. And that's who thought they had the right to lay down on the job because him. I say just Paul is making that you not only obeyed it's much more salvation with fear and trembling. Do the field day on that one. Work, brother. To be saved. Aren't you glad it's a done deal? This work salvation that most of the time that word is for you to hear. This is talking about sanctification and experiential sanctification takes work. So in my absence work out your salvation. Where does that come in? You're being experienced your deliverance, your temporal deliverance from the world, the flesh, and the devil. If you are not motivated to do and keep on doing because of your confidence of what God has promised you and you're looking forward to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ rather than being ashamed, then there, there should be fear and trembling. If you're ignoring these things, either you don't know them or either you don't care, 
they're not a motivating force, then you should be afraid and be trembling. Now, this is the last part I love. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, we can't even we can't come up with it ourselves. Do you get that? He says, work out your deliverance. Work out your experience of sanctification. It takes work. It takes study over the long haul. You've got to be doing these things. This work. Work it out. But you don't do it alone, for it is God who is at work. What? In you. It's the motivating force. His promises. Your personal sense of eternal destiny. Looking at the judgment seat of Christ that God is going to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Looking at that possession that you're going to have. Listen, all possessions are not going to be the same. You might be driving a Kia or a moped. It doesn't matter. God has given you transportation. But would you rather be driving a Mercedes or a Lexus instead of pedaling a moped? Do you all know what a moped is? Everybody knows what a moped is? Okay. It's just a it's a bicycle that they turn into a motorcycle. <laughs> you had to pedal it to get it going. And then if it quit, you could just keep pedaling. <laughs> it's transportation. But I don't want to have a heavenly moped to get around on. I want to have some kind of heavenly rocket with air conditioning. So it's God in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. If it wasn't for God, the Holy Spirit, working in my life to do God's pleasure, His good pleasure, it wouldn't be happening. That's why I can't take credit for it. It's not my nature. And you know what? It's not yours either. God is the one that is in us motivating us through His promises, through His blessings on us, through the love that in return we want to be good and faithful servants. And may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. I think you've had enough to chew on for tonight. Because when I get into this... I think I'd rather just start that verse fresh. You know, when I talk about working for Christ, I'm not talking about something that's arduous. I started that young people's class over a year ago. And I did it because the Lord motivated me to do it. And... Because I wanted to serve him that fashion, I thought there was a need. And I have been blessed beyond measure by doing that. I see these young people, and they're getting it. They're not getting it as fast as I would like, but they're getting it. And to be able to do that is such a blessing for me. I wish that you could all sit around and see what we do sometimes. And they keep coming. And I've told them more than once, I don't want any of them there unless they want to be there. If they're forced to be there, they're not paying attention. It's not going to do them any good anyway. 
I'm just showing one example that I can come up in my, with my, in my own life. How the work is not arduous. Even there's been times when I've worked on the church and my back is killing me and I take a shower here, I run in here, I get ready to teach and standing up for another hour and a half and when I'm done, I don't feel it when I'm teaching. I'm too focused. But when I'm done, I lean over to get that guitar case. It hits me. The reason I'm telling you, these are the things that you should expect in being a good and faithful servant. But I'm exhorting you and telling you it's worth it. It's not out hustling for God. It's being blessed by God to give you that opportunity to work that way. The guys that come here and work on this church, they come from their own free will and they give it everything that they've got. And they... When it's done, the thought that they had, God allowed them to play a part to have a nicer facility for the kids of this church. What does that mean to them? You can be assured it means a lot. We need to look for opportunities to serve in this, whatever way it may be. Because we'll never regret it as long as it's done with the right motivation. We are to poeo and poeo. To keep on doing it now, and Paul expected in the future they would keep on doing it because it is the Lord that works within us to do it. It's all about Him. Let's close. Heavenly Father, what a great God you are, and your plan is phenomenal. We are in the middle of the devil's world. It's enemy territory. It's easy to get discouraged and depressed to see all of the things that are going contrary to the way they should be. But we have a personal relationship with you, one-on-one. And you've given us so many blessings, so much opportunity. But it's up to us, the decisions we make, as to whether we're going to be experientially sanctified, whether we're going to grow, whether we are going to believe, whether we're going to have hope, and whether we're going to do And we pray that all of us will be challenged, that we will be like the Thessalonians believers who kept on doing and that will continue to endure because of who it is that is motivating us and the great grace that is always available to us. We thank you for this and pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.